pretty amazing people, uh, really ordinary people, but do, doing some uh, incredible, incredible work uh, overseas, and we're going to be talking about that. So I, I don't know if you noticed this. So, so by the way, uh, we're, we're going to release the kids in just a few minutes, uh, so we're not going yet, kiddos, and so just hang on with me for a few minutes. I want I want you guys to hear some stories uh, before you go. Uh, so uh, I don't know if you've noticed this, but there's a lot of like drama on Facebook. Um, that's kind of all the time, but you know... If you've noticed this in Berkeley County, there's a lot of talk on Facebook about the potholes. You guys notice this? Like, people talk about the potholes all the time. And I'm sorry if you're from DOT, but I'm going to talk about the potholes for just a second. Um, but, uh, it, but so on my road to get to my house, uh, you, you need, like, a four-wheel vehicle, like, to get through the road. Like, it's, it's pretty intense. Like, the whole road is, like, and they've, they've, like, covered over the potholes a million different times. And, and, and my thought is, someday they're going to repave this road. Like, at, at some point, they're going to do that. Like, it is so terrible. And, you know, my shocks and transmission, every, everything is going out in my car because of this road. It's pretty terrible. Uh, and so, my, and every, every day, it's every day I ride this road, and it's just it's just rough. It's just rough all the time. Uh, and, and so every day I'm thinking, goodness, they need to repave. Somebody has to repave this road. Uh, and so uh, I kind of saw on Facebook that somebody else complained about it and, and made some kind of, made DOT uh, aware of the situation. And so uh, this is what they did. They put up a sign. Uh, they put up this. Uh, there's now four of them on my road. Hey, just to let you know, it's a rough road. We're not really going to do anything about it. We're just going to let you know that it's a rough road. Uh, and so they put up this sign. And so and, and it frustrated me because I'm just like, I'm not going to do anything about it. And so I'm going to com- continue to complain about it. Now we have signs to tell everybody else that it's a rough road. It's pretty frustrating. I'm going to be talking today about a situation that's really rough. That's pretty tough. It's really hard. And the question for us is, are we just going to put up a sign or are we going to do something about it? And so I want you guys, uh, before I get into talking about international missions, uh, about the idea of taking Christ to the nations globally, uh, I want us to hear from uh, two men uh, who um, have recently come back uh, from China, and uh, and they uh, they have been, they've spent years of their life. Uh, spreading the gospel like the story that you just heard. So uh, Ryan Gimple and uh, Chris Stromlin, come on up here, guys. And I, wanna, I want you guys to get, give them a hand because they're awesome folks. So, grab a seat, my friend. Grab a seat. Grab a microphone if you can. There we go. So there you go, Chris. Yeah, there you go. There you go. All right. So this is Chris Stromlin and uh, this is Ryan Gimple. So Ryan, Ryan's been with us, has been a partner in our church for a couple years now. Uh, after they got back from China. And then Chris is a partner over at Creekside Church, which is our church plant. He came to us once and visited and said, you guys are way too old, uh, and I need to be part of a church plant. Uh, and so uh, and so he's uh, thankfully missing. Uh, but Joel is over there today, so we're just kind of making a swap. Places. Yeah, so, uh, which is really good. But uh, So I want to give you guys a chance to kind of tell your story. And, and first, let, I want to just hear from you guys. And I'll, I'll, go, for, I'll go with Ryan first because, you know, he's a homeboy, right? So... Uh, so Ryan, Ryan uh, is a professor at CSU uh, in the Religious Start- Studies Department, Christian Studies Department, uh, and, uh, and he was on the field in China for? 19 years. Woo! There it is. All right. So why don't you tell us a little bit about how God called you to that place? Why in the world would you go there? The way I'm t- telling the story, I want to make sure that 
you know, God calls everybody in different ways, mm-hmm. um, and I'm not necessarily advocating for what I did in the eighth grade. My, <laughs> my story begins in the eighth grade, so I don't know if there's anybody in here who's nearing the eighth grade, but I was in algebra class in um, which when we met in the basement of our middle school, and there was this young lady sitting in front of me in which I paid more attention to her than to the teacher, and I said a prayer uh, to God, I said, God, if you could get me a date with this girl, I will be a missionary. <laughs> uh, it's true. I did. Man, that's <laughs> tough consequences. Right there. So, it, but you know what? <laughs> wait, I didn't, I didn't get that. Sorry. Oh, wait, yeah, wait, my wait, bad. Wait, wait, you repeat that. <laughs> well, anyways, it was a dark time in my life, and I didn't, actually, my faith, I, I didn't have a strong faith at that time. I, I was pretty shaky, and high school, there was a missional community, or we didn't call it that, but it was a high school Bible study in which some um, uh, other students and led me through the, the scripture, and I came to really understand that God sent his son for me to die for me, and I embraced his love. And so it, it was, it wasn't, until, so that was like three years later or longer, but then God answered my prayer, and I was able to go to the, uh, the prom, well, for Back to the Future 2 was our first date, actually, and, and then, then to the prom, and then we've been married for 25 years as of this August. Um, yep. Cheryl. So Cheryl, Cheryl. My wife Cheryl's over there. Um, and, and, so, and so, you know, God, God didn't just use this, though, to, to call me in, into missions. It wasn't just that prayer. It was every word of the scripture is calling out. And, and so we were part of a little church, smaller than this one, much smaller than this one, actually, up up in Chicago. And, and we were part of a, a, a small group of us served in the community by teaching English to, to international students. And, and there is when we solidified our understanding that God was sending us to the nations. And so a little church couldn't send us by themselves, but uh, they sent by cooperating with other churches. Then we, we were sent through the International Mission Board, mm-hmm. and that's how we... Uh, we're first sent to Asia. Awesome. Cool stuff. Well, we're going to hear from Ryan a little bit more. And you're actually still doing that as a missional community leader. You, you'll, you'll know this. Uh, there is a missional community that Ryan and Cheryl lead, and they are reaching out to international students. And so they're still doing that 25 years later. So fantastic. All right, Chris, how, how, did, how did God call you to this, man? Mine was a little bit different, uh, a, lot, a little bit later in life. Yeah. Uh, we, I, I was saved at the age of nine, but... Uh, Really into my mid twenties, I was still kind of you know chasing the the things of this world and and um, you know we were churchgoers and things like that. But uh, through a number of things, really kind of uh, a man named Jerry kind of began to huddle with me, really in a sense, and and just began to disciple me and begin to help me to understand what it meant to follow Christ. Mm-hmm. If you're a Christian, what does it actually mean? What does it mean to be a disciple, a student? of your master, um, you know, attaching yourself to him. And, and through that, I began to get involved in some more missional community type uh, Bible studies and then t- take on more through that. But there was a particular verse, um, Luke chapter 14, where Jesus is talking about what it means to be a disciple. And he kind of lays out what it means. It's, it's really total surrender. There's a couple other things he says, but he actually says, so therefore, if any one of you does not renounce all that he has, 
he cannot be my disciple. It just really struck me. If, if you don't renounce everything, you can't be my disciple. You can't be a Christ follower. Oh, wow. And I just, it just really struck me. And at about that time, I met a guy named Jamie. You know Jamie. Um, and, and he was uh, actually a couple years ahead of me in school. And I didn't know what he'd been doing the last couple of years. I was about 24 at this time. And, and I found that he had been in China. And he had been... A missionary. I didn't really know what a missionary was, and he began to tell me about what he was doing and what his friends were doing on the field, and, and suddenly I began to realize these were just ordinary people that suddenly decided to renounce everything, and God began to use them. There were accountants. There were people that had a passion for running. There were teachers. There were, you know, all kinds of homemakers, uh, businessmen, all these type of people, and I made it made me realize Renouncing everything didn't mean that all of a sudden everything just left you, mm. but you left it for Jesus. And you yeah. said, my career, my calendar, my decisions, everything is yours, whatever you'll do with it. Mm. And then take that cross-cultural. That's so, awesome. Yeah. Good. And so you ended up... And so we ended up, we were in China for 10 years and then did three years in Nepal as well. So we were 13 years on the field. So. Now, what's, So what's interesting about both these stories, and I want you guys to hear this, is that neither of them were... were in pastoral ministry before they were just normal people. Uh, and, uh, you know, it was just, Hey, we're going to, we're going to leave everything, our business, our families, and we're going to leave and we're going to go and tell people about Jesus across the world. Um, so, so what exactly Ryan to tell me about what, when you, uh, yeah, there's, there's a couple of pictures. You'll, you'll probably point to those for sure. But, uh, so, um, when you get, you, you were on the field in China for 19 years. Now it's illegal to be, a Christian and evangelize in China. So you wake up every day and what do you do? What, like, what does a missionary do? <laughs> yeah. So, um, so each day, what does a missionary do? Well, the, the, the days are quite diverse, but in, in reality, the mission there isn't much different than the mission here. I mean, part of it, you have to learn how to live there. Learn. We had to be a language student, learn the language. We had to find some way to fit into society. So we, we taught English most of the time that we were there. Um, but so, so we did things like that. But but the heart of the mission that Jesus has called us to is is to make disciples. And, um, and so what we were called to do is make relationships, uh, share the good news of Jesus with the, the people we come into contact with, and then gather to them together in, into groups of uh, – into like that look a lot like our missional communities or like our huddles. Kind of like, kind of like this. This is, who's, there we that, go. who's that, that guy in the red shirt? That, that's our first, that's the very first group, mostly is college students there. And actually the one in the middle sitting next to me, her name is, well now Mary, she's changed it. it used to be Chai Rose. And, and then her husband, it, or, that, that wasn't her husband then, but now, but actually we're just talking in the car about having Kendra go back and spend time with their family. Mm. Um, but this was the first people that, that came to faith in, um, in Christ when, when we were there. And so we would meet with them just like our missional communities or in huddles and, and read through um, the Bible together. Wow. Um, so uh, I'm, the, 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 thinking this word with, I, missions really is how are we with God and with other people, with our, our, our neighbors and so one morning when I was with God having my uh, Bible study and, and, and praying, I had this deep sense that today I need to go out and share the gospel. Of course, that's something we need to do 
every day, especially as a missionary when you're supported to do that. But this was like a deep sense that like right now, go out and share the gospel. So I shared that with my wife. I said, I'm not sure what this means, but I'm supposed to go out. She says, well, I've got this errand for you to run, and so you better go there to share the gospel. <laughs> and so, I so feel I that God is calling you to the market. So I did. I went to this market it is a place where they sell plants and grass seed. And, and as I walk into the market, there, uh, and there's all these little stands, but there's a woman who, like, looks up at me, and she, and she waves at me, and there's an empty chair, and she asks me to sit down by her, which is kind of weird because, you know, when customers come in, they're not going to sit down. So, but, so I came in, and I sat down by her and started sharing my uh, testimony of how I came to faith back in high school. I just shared that simple story, and but, but it went on for about two hours, and I started crying, and she started crying, and then, and then she said, you know, my friends from high school have been waiting for many years for someone to tell them about Jesus. In fact, they, they've talked to me sometimes, said they want to find out about Christianity, but they don't know anybody to talk to. I said, would you, would you meet with them? Uh, and I said, uh, sure. And, and so she, she called them on the phone and said, how about today for lunch? And I was like, that is exactly right. So, so we went and met with, and so one of these pictures, maybe the next one here. So in, in the middle, it, it, uh, Jujo Hong and Wen Lee, the, the lady on the side was the lady I met at the, the plant market and her husband's there too. But um, Jujo Hong and Wen Lee, they, they uh, said, we had lunch, and they said, we've been waiting for someone to tell us about Jesus. So I shared the gospel with them, and they came to faith right then. And it took the first lady a few months, but then she came to faith too. And we would meet together. We'd just meet. We started meeting at an Ikea. There was a new Ikea that opened, and we'd go to their... Uh, Life's not that bad. Okay. Yeah. It's kind of comfortable. They had couches and stuff. And so we would have our Bible studies there. Um, but but it was like a, a huddle missional community, just just learning the word together um, with our Chinese brothers and sisters. Uh, and and the, the the husband he's he drives a car and he plays. He's got a little video system in his car and he plays the Jesus film and Christian worship music. And he, he he's talking to all of his customers um, about Jesus wherever he goes, even to this day. That's awesome. That's good stuff. It's amazing how God just like somehow it was moving and they had but they still didn't know like they couldn't they didn't have access to the information but god was somehow moving it was that's amazing all right how about you how, so you were in china for a while and then the lord moved you to nepal mm-hmm. yeah yeah i mean you know in thinking about our call i was on a short-term trip initially with uh, uh some a volunteer trip and uh i, I remember being in China, in the city, and it was actually, you know, we have internet, we have cell phones, and I'm actually standing on the balcony of a pizza hut there, looking across at a McDonald's, and I'm seeing, I'm thinking, why are we here? And there's thousands of people, and they're sitting here telling me, these are the Zhuang people. These are, within China, they're a group of 20 million people that virtually have no access to the gospel, that have no Bible in their language. And so that began to, uh, 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 sort of that conviction that there are unreached peoples around the world that yeah. need to hear this. And so and now, you, and you told me the other day that the Chinese government 
does not allow them to access portions of the internet. So they wouldn't correct. have access to right. Christian websites and things like that. That's correct. That's yeah. correct. And so there's just a lot of information that's just not there. And so that's why people have to cross cultures and cross boundaries mm-hmm. to go, to be a light in the darkness. And so just thinking about what a day, just so you understand what a day in the life is, I was thinking back to a day. Uh, when we had a volunteer team that had come out from Oklahoma, uh, they were there to kind of expand our network of relationships. I mean, when you're there and you have 500,000, sometimes it was millions of people that we as one family were responsible for trying to reach, what do you do? (laughs) One family to millions of people. Good ratio there. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So, I mean, the first thing that you do is you get up and you do a quiet time. You say, God, I need you. I'm dependent upon you. You're in the word. And you're just simply saying, what what would you have me today to do? And then, you know, we just basically started the day. We had breakfast. Uh, Nikki started trying to homeschool the kids, and we had interruptions and things like that. And uh, and then I went out that day and, and began to work with the volunteer team and just say, all right, I'm going to send you guys out and to start building relationships. And they'd call me throughout the day and say, hey, I've met so-and-so, and, and they've invited me into their home, so I would go. And it was just an invitation for me to go make a new relationship, share the gospel. Well, that night, we had decided to go out uh, to the public square there. And there was typically around 8,000 people there at night. I mean, just a lot of people. And uh, it's music, there's dancing, there's singing, uh, there's games, all kinds of things are going on. Our son, Matthew, he was rollerblading with his friends. Uh, You know, our our daughter, Ellie, uh, she was... Uh, forming a march, you know, probably with other, other uh, kids. I mean, was, kids were doing normally th- normal things, having a good time, playing with other kids, just being family together. But all in that, we're building relationships. And I was thinking about Mark one fifteen says that when Jesus started his ministry, he went to Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. He, that's what we were doing, was mm-hmm. just simply to say the time is now, so we're going to go. And not only that, but there's a king and there's a kingdom. Right. And to help them to understand that, and there's good news for them that they had never heard. And in fact, that very night, mm-hmm. we met through the volunteer team, met a man named Mr. Shu, And Mr. Shu said, I've never heard this before. Everybody needs to hear this. Wow. And that night, he just began to take us to people after people after people and say, share this story with them. Share this story with them. And then over the next few weeks, he did the same thing. He continued to take us to villages and places, and he just said, everyone needs to hear this. No one's heard this before. That's, that's awesome. So this, that's the day of the missionary life, right? That's so super exciting. Very cool. Now, I know, um, so there's some more particular things that you guys have seen now, God do that, I don't know, sometimes we don't really get to see around here. And so I, I know you guys have some particular stories about how God has moved in just really special ways. Um, well, Ryan, why don't you share one of those? You shared one of them with me earlier this week. I'm like, you got to tell that to everybody. Um, so, Right, yeah, I'm trying to remember which one that was. The one with the little, the little girl. <laughs> remember the little girl? Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, get yeah. The, get, so... so you know, the story I told you with the pictures you've seen up there, we're, we're not working with the majority Han people. Um, but in 2010, we became aware that there are people groups where uh, they don't have any access to the gospel. Like Chris was saying with the Zhuang. And there's quite a few Muslims in China. So we, we began, we, we changed our focus 
uh, to work with a, a Muslim people group, and we, it meant I had to grow a beard, and we couldn't eat pork. And do we do uh, we have a picture of that? By the way, I, th- I think we got a picture. Oh, it's out of order there. That's all right. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, okay. that's all right. It's coming up. I think but I wanna, I'll, there I'll, he is. <laughs> so I love that. But but so you can see in the background. Actually, I should have picked the one where you can see the, the Muslim guys. But the street is full. You see that sea of hats there. There's it, 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 it hundreds of thousands of Muslim men coming to worship, and like so, our family was responsible to share the gospel with them. And how? Where do you begin? Um, how, how do you do that? Um, but it almost feels impossible. Um, but it, it's just making relationships is with, with uh, and being open to those who are uh, hurting and opening yourselves to them. And so our family was able to, to make friends with uh, well, a little girl, Shafe, and her mother. Her mother is uh, Muslim, and. Uh, uh, Shafi's father, the, the father and mother had been separated when she was born uh, because the husband's parents were so upset that she had a girl instead of a boy, and so he divorced her so she, he could have someone to produce a, a, a male child. But then it got even more complicated because they found Sophie had a rare blood disorder um, that caused, it was like, similar to hemophilia, but one that girls had, and she was the only case in the whole province, so no one knew how to deal with her, and she, and the schools wouldn't let her come to school, uh, but the mother was a single mom trying to work in, in a hospital, and so I don't even remember how we first encountered her or any, anything, but somehow we established enough trust that she would send Sophie to our home when she went to work, and my kids would play Lincoln Logs with her, and... Um, but whenever the mom would drop Sophie off, you know, she'd say, well, remember, auntie and uncle are not Muslims, and so you sh- do not eat any pork. And she emphasized that's not to feed any pork. Um, and, and so they were, like, from the picture, you can't really see it, right? They, but they had a very strong belief. Uh, and, and, and throughout Sophie's life, she's being taught, you're, you're Muslim, don't. Don't, you're not following Jesus, but also you're not. So on this trip where we drove out through these Tibetan villages, the mom would emphasize this opening now. You're, you're, you're Muslim, so don't, uh, uh, you're not going to worship idols like these Tibetans do. So we heard her saying that over and over, and I realized this is how all of the little kids are growing up here. They don't have, they're, they're closed off from the good news of, of Jesus, and, and one time we went out to a, a graveyard, a, a Muslim graveyard, out, out and just I mean, all the graves line up so that they're facing towards Mecca, and just uh, seeing all these different graves over hundreds of years, and realizing how many of these have heard the name of Jesus ever in their lifetime, in being told that he's not a prophet, he's actually the son of God, the way, the truth, and the life, and realize they, it seems so, it's a bumpy, it's a rough road, it's a rough road that we need to do something about. But then when I think of Sophie, even though Sophie and her mom and, and then her dad, none of them came to faith in Jesus, but they were able to hear. We shared the gospel multiple times, both in words and in our actions, 
um, with this family. Uh, and I, it is possible to cross these borders and, and bring the good news of Jesus uh, to, to, to the maybe the roughest spots they get to. Absolutely. Yeah, that's fun. Well, Chris, you, you, you told me a story recently of it just about someone who kind of in a miraculous way came to faith that you met. Yeah, actually, it, it started with Mr. Shu, the guy that uh, sadly, Mr. Shu actually never repented and believed. Uh, he was convinced that this is a story his people needed to hear. But like what Jesus said, he was unwilling to essentially renounce it all and say, Jesus, you're above everything. Uh, you're the king. And, um, but because he continued to uh, have us go share, uh, one of the things that, that happened is about one, 11 o'clock one night, he had, he had called me again, and he said, "Hey, I need I got some more people that need to hear this news." Nice. And I said, uh, I, "I actually was already in bed," and I, I said, ah, "I'm not really no, nah, not tonight." And 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 Nikki heard me, and she kind of bumped me. She said, "Go ahead." And so I did. So I begrud- begrudgingly went, and I actually went out, and we went to the square, talked to people, shared the gospel with them, and frankly, no one no one was interested. And I was pretty dejected, and actually started to go home. And about that time, an 18-year-old boy tapped on my shoulder, and he said, were you talking about Jesus there? And I said, yeah, actually, I was. And he said, would you come to my house tomorrow and share that with our family? And so I said, sure, I would love to do that. So we made an appointment at 2 o'clock the next day. So I want to share a passage here, 2 Corinthians 4, uh, verse 5 and 6. says, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ our Lord. Um, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. What happened when I got there at 2 o'clock is they said, uh, they, they, I, I went down this dark alley. It was very clearly a very poor family. Uh, it was 2 o'clock in the afternoon, but it was, it was dark just because of the shadows and uh, when I went in, it was actually their hallway was actually between two buildings, and they were actually a homeless family living in a lean-to. And so as I walked through this little hallway, basically it was outdoors. There was a sewer running right underneath, open sewer running right underneath me. And I walked into their little living room shanty, basically on the side there. And they said, and the, there was the father, the mother, the two daughters, and the son that I'd met the night before. And the father, Mr. Pond, is his name. And uh, he said, um, we've been waiting for you. And I said, uh, oh, I thought we said 2 o'clock. And he said, no, I mean, we've been waiting for 30 years for you to come. And apparently 30 years ago, he had been in the military, and it had been a difficult time, and and, uh, he had been able to talk to somebody that was telling them about the one true God and that there was no need to worship ancestors and no need to, to fear the spirits and the demons and such. And so for 30 years, he had been waiting for someone to come, knowing that God would bring somebody. And for all those years, they were persecuted. His daughter actually had burns on her from the persecution that they had received. They had actually been kicked out of their home, all those sort of things. And so when we arrived that day, I began to recount and tell them just, I mean, obviously the pressure I felt at that moment, but all I could do was proclaim Jesus. And I began to just recount from creation, through Christ, just going through those stories and talking about how Jesus had come for their salvation. And at that very moment, that family 
prayed to receive Christ. Mm. And the men were actually baptized the next day, and a couple months later, the, the women were baptized. But I'll never forget just the freedom and the joy that they received and just the singing that would happen in those that church because they started a house church in that very house. Uh, and, and if we think back to those verses, all we were doing was saying, we will be your servant for your sake, for your glory. And God brought his life, his light through the face of Jesus Christ by simply presenting Jesus Christ now the light of the gospel and the light of the glory of God was able to be seen in the light of that family. And as a result, that family became an evangelistic family. The son was sharing in prisons. That They actually have started two churches in the iPhone factory now because they've moved down to uh, the, the big Foxconn that has 100,000 employees and wow. stuff. And so it's, it's pretty significant to see what God can do. That is like, that's yeah. just incredible. Really, really cool. I'm so glad that you guys, man, answered that call. I mean, of decades and hundreds of years of God working and moving and then, hey, I'm, I'm prepared these people to hear the gospel. It's so beautiful. I, it's, I don't think this calling is just for some missionaries up on the stage. When I read Romans 15, 20, Paul, Paul says, it's always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ has not yet been known. But that's not a verse that that's, that's represents Paul's heart or just our heart. That's a verse. That's God's heart and our church's heart, I think. It's, right. it's all of our ambition to preach the gospel where Christ has not been known. And we've already been part of that. You might be thinking, how does a little church do this? How, how can we be part of that? We've already been a part of it, but we can do even more. There's more holes that need to be uh, stopped up, but the way, the way we're going to do it is by cooperating with others. And so, so this church is, is part of a connection with other churches uh, through the cooperative program, and then eventually we're going to learn about the Lottie Moon Christmas offering or the International Missions Christmas offering. And it's a way we can partner with other churches to be sending missionaries, not just on, on two-week trips, which are important, but it's going to take to reach these people groups. It takes an investment learning language and, and developing deep relationships to make sure that every man, woman, child in the earth, in the whole cosmos, uh, knows our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's exactly right. Well said. Hey, I want to uh, I want to throw up a couple things just in case if you guys just want to get in touch with these guys, they're available to you and they want to answer questions. They're going to be out uh, in the lobby after the service to chat with. And we've got a table out there that has some books there that you can either purchase or really look at. Uh, there's parents. There's some resources out there for kids, too, which is which is super fun. Uh, but I think, yeah, we'll put their uh, email addresses up there if you want to copy those down and you can contact them uh, through this week. And they would love to talk with you about anything. Uh, regarding missionary work. So thank you guys. Will you guys uh, thank them for, for being here? Thanks, bud. Good job. Appreciate you, man. Yeah, appreciate you. Hey, thank you. Um, all right, so we're gonna, uh, we are gonna—we are going to release our kids. Uh, so Mark, Marky Mark, you, you back there? So tigers and gorillas, you ready? There it is. All right, cool. All right. I'm going to talk quick, and you're going to listen quick. Okay? Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. If, you, if you're unfamiliar with that, it's the very last book of your 
Bible. Revelation chapter 5, if it's in your uh, version app, your Bible app, uh, you, can, uh, you can grab it there uh, under live events, and my notes will be uh, in there, okay? Now, let me just tell you real quick, uh, so we have, there's a couple responses to what you just heard. Uh, the first response is this, you can completely ignore what you just heard, like it was a commercial. Uh, tonight, we're, tonight during the Super Bowl, there's going to be commercials that we completely ignore because they just don't interest us at all. Uh, and so I, there, that's the first response, is that you can just completely ignore what you just heard. The second response is this, you can be inspired by what you just heard. Uh, and last week we talked about the idea of, uh, of being a missionary where we live, learn, work, and play in, in our areas where we're uh, trying to spread the gospel right here uh, at home. And that can be an inspiration to you, and I really hope that it is. Uh, the third response is this, the third response is that you are burdened by it. And what I mean by that is like a righteous burden. That, that somehow that God has stirred within your heart something deeper that you have to ask the question, what does that mean for me? You heard Ryan say that all of us are responsible for this global mission. So we need to allow our hearts to be burdened by that and begin to ask questions. What is my role inside of that? What does that mean for me uh, exactly. And so here's, and here's the truth before we get into the scripture. Here's what I think, uh, and, and I'll just reiterate what, what they just said, that I think that every Christian, get this, I think that every Christian is called to global missions. Let me say it again. I think that every Christian is called to global missions. Now, are we all called to leave our homes and go? The answer to that is no because then we would be leaving this country behind, right? With no gospel witness. So we don't want to do that. But I believe at some level, as they just said, that everyone is involved in what happens. And so that first response of completely ignoring what we just heard is sinful and wrong. We cannot and will not forget it or ignore it, that there is a necessity for the gospel to go throughout the entire Earth. And so what I want to give to you guys, if, if you're taking notes this morning, I want to give you four truths uh, for us as a church uh, that we're going we're gonna to get from Revelation chapter 5, okay? So I want you to really think hard on these things. Now, Revelation is, is, is unlike any other book in the Bible. It's an apocalyptic book, which means that it is a future-casting prophetic book. It's talking about what is going to happen at the end or how God is going to bring about the end of time. Uh, and and so, uh, it's, it's, so it's got a lot of symbolic. Uh, and sacred language in it. And so there's a lot of different images. If you're familiar with this, there's a lot of different images that can be very scary or they could be very confusing, but they are a, they're symbolic. Um, they're in, in you, in Paul, and the guy who's writing this, his name is John. Most people believe it's John the disciple, the same guy that wrote the book of John. Uh, so John was seeing a vision and God was showing to him what was going to happen at the end. Uh, and so a lot of what he saw was really impossible to put into language, but he He's trying to do that through different symbols and such. So Revelation chapter 5, I'm going to read through the whole chapter, and you guys are going to follow along with me, and we're going to go incredibly quick. It says, Then I saw the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven and on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. 
because the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll in its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw the lamb standing as though it had been slain with the seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, and incense um, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying this, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its For you are slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Truth number one, if you're taking notes, or if you're just listening, that's good too. Truth number one is this, that God and God alone is sovereign over the destiny of all mankind. That God is sovereign over the destiny of all mankind. It says this in verse 1, Then I saw in the right hand of him who seated on the throne, so he saw in the right hand of God, written within on the back, sealed with seven seals. So, here's, so he sees this image of God seated on the throne, and he sees a scroll inside of his right hand. And what this scroll represents is the unfolding of history. Within this scroll is the, un, is the plan for the end. It is the reconciliation plan. It is the destiny of every human being. It is the redemption of mankind. What is located in this scroll, which is sealed up, the symbolic nature of what has been sealed up, this plan that is going to take care of all of the evil, all of the suffering, all of the death, everything that God has prepared is within and written on this scroll. But it's sealed up and it's in the, it's in the hand of God. All of history is, un, is unfolding according to God's hand and he is the ruler over it all. God holds the destiny of all mankind in his hand. And so we we think about and we worry about rulers. People, we watch the news and there's news about Putin and Merkel and Ahmadinejad and Trump. And we We listen to it all day long and we worry about what these rulers are, but they are puppets in the hand of a sovereign God who rules them and is sovereign over them and he is sovereign over all things. You and me, God has everything in his hand. And you might look at that and you say, well, what about, what about us? Don't we have choice? Don't, isn't there some form of responsibility on our end? Of the whole thing. And I'd say, yes, God, in an amazing, incredible theological paradox, God is sovereign over all things and knows all things, yet gives responsibility over to his creation. And that's a hard thing to get our mind around, but it's absolutely true. And we see that in the scripture. Not too long ago, actually, it was, it was last year about tax time. Now we're entering into tax time, right? And so I have a, a 
a great tax accountant. His name is Frank, uh, and I've been going to him for years. And uh, he's such a fantastic guy, and he sits down with me, and he talks me through uh, my taxes every year. And usually that meeting, uh, if I prepare everything right, that meeting goes about an hour long, sometimes 45 minutes, sometimes an hour. It's not very long. He's just got his stuff together, and everything is fine. Now, last year, I I scheduled my meeting with him at 10 a.m., I also scheduled a lunch meeting at 12 o'clock with the entire team from St. Timothy's Church, which meets here on Saturday night, okay? And uh, so we, we, we uh, have another church that meets here, and at that time, we are beginning a relationship with them. So uh, the pastor there wanted to, Gary, he wanted uh, to meet our, enti- our staffs together to have lunch together, and they offered to buy us lunch and bring it here, and we would meet for the first time and talk about life and talk about ministry and talk about a partnership together. And so I said, absolutely, let's do it at 12 o'clock right here. I've got a meeting at 10. It'll be over by 11. I'll have plenty of time. And then the IRS got involved in this situation. And one hour went by and there was more IRS questions and problems and changes because that's what they do. And then an hour and a half went by and then two hours went by. It's 12 o'clock. I'm texting Joel. Hey, I don't, I think I might be late. The IRS has got some problems with me, right? And uh, I'm trying to figure this out. Three hours goes by, kind of frustrated with the IRS in this moment. Three and a half hours, I finally get out of my meeting with Frank and I rush over here and I get here five minutes after the entire team from St. Timothy's left. And my lunch sat there cold and they had gone. Now, thankfully, our team here at the church did a fantastic job. Um, they probably were more hospitable than I would have been. Uh, and they, they just made great relationships with those folks. And we have a great relationship now. Now, the question, was God sovereign over all of that? Did he know that things, things were going to go wrong with my taxes? Did he know that the team was going to do a fantastic job making a relationship with St. Timothy's? Absolutely. God was sovereign the entire time, but the IRS was responsible. For that. God is sovereign, and we have a responsibility to be involved. And so God involves us in his sovereign plan, much like a father involves his children, even though he doesn't need them. But God allows his children to be involved, not because he needs them, but because he loves them. And he desires for them to be a part of his plan to save the world. So God holds the destiny of mankind in his hand. Second thing that we need to know from this scripture passage, that man is completely hopeless without Christ. That man is completely hopeless without Christ. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven and on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. The plan to save all of mankind, the plan to end death, the plan to end suffering, cancer, Every, the, the plan to bring the kingdom of God onto the earth was written in this scroll. It's sealed up. And the angel asks, is there anyone that can open it? Is there anyone who is perfect? Is there anyone who is worthy? Is there anyone who is sinless? And heaven falls silent. And the silence of heaven testifies to the sinfulness of man. 
You see, every single person from Adam on fell to sin and brokenness. And we all succumb to death. Every one of us is sinful and will die. No one is perfect. No one is sinless. Mankind is fallen and broken. And we have fallen short of God's holiness. And so this is why John weeps. John begins to weep. Because the solution to the fallenness of the world is, it's available, it's right there, but it can't be opened because of the sinfulness of mankind. We are cut off from God, Colossians 1.21. We are under the condemnation of God, Romans 5.12. We are apart from Christ, and we are slaves to sin, John 8.34. Apart from Christ, man is the object of wrath, Ephesians 2.3. Destined to die in hell, a place of fiery agony, Mark chapter 9. Conscious torment, Luke chapter 16. Destined to be in hell, 2 Thessalonians, where there is no rest and there is no end. Thomas Watson said this, Thus it is in hell, the wicked shall be always dying but never dead. The smoke of the furnace ascends forever and ever, and we can endure, who can endure? this destiny, this word ever breaks the heart. I won't belabor this point because I talked about it last week, but this is no casual manner that all of us are destined for hell. And there are real consequences to be without God. Now, for just a second, contemplate the fate of those who are not reached with the gospel. These men just talked about the idea that there are people who have no access to the gospel. And they've never, they, will born, they will be born, they will live, and they will die, and they will never hear about Jesus ever. They have no access. No one has ever told them. No one has ever gone to them. There is no one that they know that knows Jesus, and they have no access, internet, nothing. There is nothing to tell them about Jesus. And they will live, and they will, li- and they will die without Jesus. And these people are destined for an eternity in hell. And you might look at that, and you say, that is not fair. That is not fair. And that's why Paul says in Romans chapter 1, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. What this says is that God has shown himself to them. The African villager, the Pakistani woman, the South Asian man, they have all seen the things that God has made and they are without excuse. And you might say, well, what about the innocent guy? What about the innocent woman? What about that innocent person who's in the village who's never heard of Jesus? And the answer there is simple. They get to go to heaven. They do because they're innocent. Now, the problem with that is, is that it says in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, including the Pakistani woman and the South Asian man and the African villager. We would like to think that there's some kind of innocent man or innocent woman out there. But the, there's not. That person doesn't exist. There is no innocent man. There is no innocent woman. And they, without Christ, are headed to a destiny in hell. And this is why John weeps. 
because he sees the nations and he sees their brokenness and he sees that they're going to hell and he's weeping. But yet there's hope. This is when the elder says, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered and that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the, the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which represent his power and his omniscience, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into the, all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who is seated on the throne. Truth number three, and this is the best news in all the earth is that Christ is the only hope for mankind. That Christ is our only hope for mankind. Weep no more. The greatest hope has arrived on the scene. And so that every single man, woman, and child that has been succumbed to sin, that has gone to death, there is one man who did not. There is one man who did not sin. And there is one man who conquered over death. And so the elder, he's, he's screaming at John, weep no more. The lion of Judah has come and he's going to restore the world. And so John is thinking that he's going to turn around. He's going to see this triumphant man standing there, incredible, courageous, strong. And he turns around and he sees a bloodied lamb. John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus walking besides the water, he says, behold, look, it's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is there. And what's funny is, it was not funny, but it, it says that the Lamb of God is standing. The slaughtered Lamb is standing, meaning that he is triumphant and that he has conquered the Passover land whose whose blood is spilled for us on the altar of the cross, sheds his blood in our place, and he is standing because he didn't stay dead. And then he audaciously walks. Who can come before God? And he audaciously walks up to the throne of God and takes the plan of God. He alone can take the plan of God into his own hand. And he then becomes the sovereign. And at this point, heaven begins to sing this new song. And truth number four, salvation is globally particular. Salvation is globally particular. And the words of the song are important, and I love it. They're incredibly particular, and I want you to watch it, underline it, whatever you need to do. It says, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. From every tribe, in every language, in every people, in every nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Here's what this means. It means that God has purchased you. You have heard the gospel. And my hope is, is that you have responded to that gospel, that you've responded to the fact that Jesus loves you, has a plan for your life, and desires to save you from this hell and live eternally with you. God has purchased you, and you had nothing to do with where you were born. 
His grace is particular to you. It is also globally particular that every nation, tribe, and tongue on the, on the earth, they are all going to be there in heaven with us one day in the future. He has purchased all of these people from around the world, the Hindus in India, the Muslims that we have been petrified of because of our news sources every single day. They will be there with us, not because they trust in Allah, but because they trust in Jesus. The tribes deep in the Amazon forest, the tsunami victims in South Asia, the Puerto Rican countrymen, the Kenyan friend that we know, all of them have been particularly purchased by Jesus and they're waiting for the good news to be given to them that they have not heard. And somebody has to cross that culture to give it to them. You know, it's funny, we always, uh, we, we always want to talk about the end. We actually have movies and stuff that talk about apocalyptic endings and all sorts of things. When we took, we took our survey, maybe you were here for this in early January, when we took a survey and we asked the question, what kind of sermon series would you like to hear about? And, and I, I knew this was going to happen, but, but several of you wanted to know, wanted sermons and sermon series on the book of Revelation or what's going to happen at the end. Can you talk about end times? And there's books and there's movies and there's all sorts of things about how the end will come. You know, it's interesting. Jesus actually told us when the end would come. He gave us a hint to it. In Matthew 24, 14, it says this, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. It's that simple. Now, I don't know when Jesus is going to come back, and I don't know when the end is going to come, but this is pretty clear. Yeah, the end is not going to come until all of the nations of the world have heard the gospel. And statistically, we're not even close. You can get these stats at joshuaproject.org. It's fantastic. They're uh, really good resources. Around the world, there's 17,400 different people groups around the world. Now, don't confuse that with nation states, okay? There's, there's only 195 nations on your globe, okay? So only 195. We're talking about people groups. Uh, a people group has their own language, their own culture, their own history, their own customs, okay? So there's about, roughly about 17,000 of these. And 7,000, this is groups now, 7,063 of them are classified as unreached. This is 314 billion people, billion with a B. Unreached means that they have no indigenous peoples. There is no one of them who is a Christian with a gospel witness. They need outside help. They need someone to cross culture to give them the gospel. Here's some examples. The the Jat people of Pakistan, there's 32 million of them. 32 million people, the Jat people of Pakistan, that is larger than the entire state of Texas. And according to the Joshua Project, there's not one Christian, not one. Zero. Who's sake. The Yemeni people of northern Yemen, there are 12 million of them. 12 million people live in northern Yemen. That is bigger than the population of South Carolina and North Carolina combined, and there's not one. There's not one known Christian. Zero. Twelve million people. No Bibles, no TV shows, no movies, no witness. There is not one person with the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit that lives within them that is even close to those twelve million people. 
Now, we tell you all this, and I tell you these stories not to guilt you. That's not the point. I'm not trying to guilt anybody. And, but I want to tell you it because God deserves the glory from all of them. They desperately need Jesus. Our sovereign God has purchased them. And it is our function and our job to see that they hear and know Jesus. And so we can have the response of ignoring this and walking out and just saying, and we, we as, a, as our lives, we just put up a sign, this rough road. There's rough places in this world. And we put up signs. Hey, did you know that it's rough out there? Yeah. And we ignore it and we move on with our day. So hopefully somebody will do something about that. Maybe somebody will. Or maybe we're inspired by that, and my hope is that you are. But all I want you to think about today is I want you to be burdened by this. I've said some tough things that are hard to chew on. And I want you to chew on them this week. And I want the Holy Spirit to convict you and say, what are you doing about this? How are you involved? What's going to happen? How is this going to change how you think? Because I fully believe that all of us are called to do something about global missions, about the global particular gospel. The question is, how are we going to be involved? So I'm not going to give you any application. I just want you to think. Next week, we're going to continue to talk about this, and I'm going to give you some really good things to do and handle and figure out as parents and as people, and we're going to announce some really cool things that we're doing uh, this year in an effort to get the gospel across culture, okay? So let's think and let's pray. God, thank you um, uh, for uh, just an opportunity to love you well through listening to good story. God, we are are grateful that um, you have purchased men, women, and children from all over the world and that you have lovingly partnered with us, those who know the gospel, to get that message to them. And God, I pray that you would raise up more people from within this congregation that will do, as Chris said, that will renounce what they have and go. That they will not think, hey, it's rough out there. I hope somebody does something about it. But God, that they would be burdened and their heart would be burdened. God, I pray that for the students in this room, the young people of this room, that are not entangled with all sorts of other jobs and money. And and God, I pray that you would stir in their hearts like you stirred in Ryan's heart early in his life. God, if you want me, I will go. And so God, I, I look forward to how you're going to call teenagers out to propel your gospel into the world. And God, for our children, that they might become world Christians. They might know the need for Jesus around the world. God, help us to be burdened by this today.